Hi, all. Thanks so much for joining. Speaking of making healthcare work for you, I'm Stephanie Fields, and today I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Aporv Gupta, and Jacqueline Wainwright, who is the CEO of AirCare Health. So thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. And Jacqueline, tell us, AirCare Health deals with mental, emotional health. How have you been helping people, particularly through the pandemic? Well, we are uh, primarily a solution that provides uh, mental and emotional virtual support to uh, healthcare systems or employers. So uh, we actually have been uh, playing a big role in helping support frontline healthcare workers uh, cope with what's going on, manage uh, some of the new stressors, uh, prevent burnout uh, for, for those that are actually um, coming in day in and day out and, and dealing with the fear of working in a pandemic. Uh, so it's been really unbelievable to be able to show up and serve a community uh, in a time of need. That is so fabulous. I love that you're able to help support the healthcare workers during this time because that has to be just unprecedented, unprecedented times for everybody, but it's so scary for those people who are dealing with a pandemic. You sign up to be a frontline worker and you know you're going to be dealing with illness or potentially contagious things, but you don't really probably expect this. Who would have ever expected to deal with a pandemic? Yeah, and I think what's interesting is that it, it's not necessarily that this type of thing um, they hadn't imagined would happen, right? I think it's the that there's two two types of stress that are happening here. Um, we're, we're experiencing this intense stress, which you would expect with some type of pandemic, but the piece that's not expected is the prolonged stress, the fact that it doesn't go away. And so I think that's the piece that that is really weighing on, on people and, and not just healthcare workers, weighing on moms, dads, um, you know, brothers, sisters, mothers, you name it. All of us are experiencing this sort of fatigue with the prolongedness of, of uh, COVID and the impact of having to live through that day in and day out. How do you help people through that? Well, I think part of it is um, giving them a place where they can uh, be honest, right? Where they can, you know, oftentimes just say out loud, gosh, I'm really struggling or um, it's starting to get to me and I don't know what to do. Or um, just listening is, is oftentimes the first you know, step in, in trying to process, right? Acceptance that, that you are experiencing something new and different. And so I think we, we give them a place to, to um, talk about how they're feeling, but then also I think uh, we, we give them some education around how they may be experiencing these things and why. So a little bit of, of um, science, because I think at least for me, what I've learned is that if I can understand maybe why I'm feeling the way that I am or, or that I'm not alone in, in the way that I'm feeling. It helps me to um, be less ashamed, I guess, about what I'm experiencing and, and be more open to changing uh, behavior or looking at um, something a little bit differently. So I think, you know, there's a lot of reasons why one may be struggling. We've got a lot of good reasons, right? The, the isolation, the um, fact that just about every facet of our lives has changed. Uh, and, and so, first of all, trying to understand and process which one of those things is, is causing the most pain or suffering or disruption and, and finding a way to give them some coping tools or skills to, to move through the day and get beyond it. Is this like a coaching session or a counseling session? It's not coaching or counseling. I would say it's 
we do use licensed clinicians. So there is a little bit of therapy or, or uh, counseling going on. Uh, depends on the situation though. So um, we, we always use licensed clinicians for that reason in case there is a moment in which we need to be giving some um, intermittent therapy or, or using coping skills. But it's, um, it's a little bit of coaching, resourcing, counseling, solving problems, uh, listening, uh, all built in one. So we try and make it a one-stop shop in terms of what that person on the other end of the phone may need to get well so that we're not having to pull in multiple providers um, in the moment so that somebody can have that one person that they can connect with on a regular basis that can maybe, um, you know, be the, the person that is connecting them with the other resources and, and be the one that is um, helping them in the moment so they only have to make one phone call or they only have to pick up one phone call to get the, the solution. I'd love to talk about some of the findings that you shared that you've seen through your research over this time. You've found really fascinating things about loneliness, um, the markers of daily life, and then you already talked about the stress, the prolonged stress and the intense stress. But can you tell us more about either the markers in daily living and the loneliness? We knew that loneliness um, had um, some health implications, physical health implications on, on people long term. But I don't believe that we knew as much as we know now about loneliness and how it can impact um, physical, mental, emotional health uh, in, in regular, not just elderly, but all age, um, all ages, all, all people. And so uh, I don't know if our listeners have heard the, the statistic that loneliness or living alone and poor social social connections is as bad for your health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Mm -hmm. But that to me is a very compelling statistic. We hear so much about um, smoking and the impact that that can have on your physical health. But to think that living alone and, and being lonely uh, can do the same type of physical damage is astounding to me. I, I mean, it's one that makes you stop and think about, you know, connecting with others. So that, that is really interesting, as well as the fact that it puts people at greater risk of cognitive decline in dementia, so that not having that interaction um, can actually create cognitive problems for, for individuals, which is, you know, it makes you think about what we will be experiencing as a society long-term because of the ex prolonged isolation that many people have been sort of forced uh, to live through. Can you reverse loneliness, the effects of it, like you can with smoking if you quit? And then do people always know that they're lonely or do you think there are people who may be suffering from these effects and they might not even realize it? They might think I'm fine. I live alone. I can handle it. It's no big deal. So I'm going to tackle the first one. Um, the, the question about do people know when they're experiencing these things or not? Because I think it's really important. Um, it's a really important element uh, of understanding why and how people may, may need or receive help. Um, the first thing is that with most mental health conditions, um, depression, actually many of them, almost all of them, uh, you feeling um, the inability to follow through, the inability to connect with others, those are symptoms of the disease. So it's almost this catch 22 where you now, you know, because you have, um, you know, an underlying condition or you're, you're depressed or even clinically depressed, you have an inability as a symptom of the disease to reach out and ask for help. Mm -hmm. You also are, are 
have an inability or um, you you follow through less with those elements of the care plan that you maybe would otherwise. So there's a low engagement that's built in um, as a symptom of having that underlying condition. So I think part of it is symptom of the disease actually prevents people from, from recognizing or reaching out. I also think there's a lot of societal sort of stigma. Um, there's a lack of access. There's all kinds of reasons why people may tell themselves um, you're not feeling that way or it's not that big of a deal or, you know, uh, if you could just get through the next six weeks or whatever markers we, you know, we sort of tell ourselves or, or, or sort of rules that deals that we make with ourselves. Um, those things can actually prolong people from from getting the help that they need. How often are you able to reach people then? You, you know, you're you're calling them. Are they ready for that call? Are they still willing to talk to you? You know, it depends. Um, I've we have noticed that that during um, the past eight nine months, people have been a lot more willing to have the conversation. Uh, but we look at it as if they're not interested or open or ready to receive um, the service when we call them the first time, that oftentimes it sort of plants the seed um, and it's with them whether or not they're consciously thinking about it. So there's a lot of science, data science behind how, why, when um, we reach out to people. And so we try and you know, give people the opportunity to say yes. Go back to the findings that you mentioned and talking about the markers of daily life, the markers in time and how people gauged things. Tell us about that. Yeah. So there's some really interesting studies that are coming out around how COVID uh, has impacted the way that we as human beings mark the passage of time. And so uh, if you think about you know, you think about your life and you think about those moments that have gone by too quickly or those um, things that you felt like dragged on, that's an emotional response that you're having to whatever it is that you're experiencing. So say you go to a concert and uh, you felt like, gosh, that went by too quickly. I had such a great time. Uh, I, I really wish that, you know, I could have had more time uh, enjoying that concert. So your emotional response of, of really enjoying and being engaged in that experience makes the time pass quickly. When you are, you know, sitting in say a, a class that you're really bored, you know, or media, you're stuck at a meeting or you're doing something you really just aren't enjoying, uh, that seems to drag on, right? The passage of time sort of slows. And so without these markers of, you know, passage of time without, you know, the, the variability in our schedules and the activity and the stimuli from, from the outside world, the passage of time has felt, you know, some people describe like they, they're, it felt like a year when we were going through it, but they look back and it's gone in an instant. And so this idea that our concept of the passage of time um, has changed is, is something that I think people are studying or, or are, are really interested in studying because it's impacted us as a society and, and probably will. Do you think that people are experiencing the passage of time more slowly now or more intensely? I think that people get this, this fatigue around, so this exhaustion around prolonged stimuli that is provoke, you know, has a stressful response or your body has a stressful response too. So we become exhausted, right? We become disillusioned, right? We disconnect. And it's, it's actually um, leads as a human being leads you to this helplessness or this state of depression, this hopelessness 
Um, and there's a term for it called learned helplessness mm-hmm. um, in which people can get this feeling that you try and you try and you try, but nothing seems to give you the relief you're looking for. Uh, and that can lead to depression. It can lead to lots of um, you know, mental health and physical health problems. And so I think that, that you know, we're learning that we need outside stimuli. We need the human beings can't just have a mundane sort of a non-experiential passage of time or there will be, you know, long-term effects on our mental and emotional health. So it's how can you create, well, A, understanding how you are, you know, experiencing the passage of time during COVID and trying to create moments of enjoyment or, or a break, right, from, from this daily grind that is everybody's experience, this heightened sense of, of helplessness. How do you do that? What are some of those ways that people can do that? The first thing I would say is if you are feeling isolated, lonely, helpless, scared, like you don't enjoy things anymore, do say something, right? Don't just keep that bottled in. Talk to someone, anyone. Um, And then secondly, I think a few things. Uh, There's a lot of science behind the fact that other centeredness or devoting time and energy to someone else's cause or, or, or something that's meaningful to somebody else releases endorphins. It brings, you know, um, happiness to both individuals and it gives you a sense of purpose. So I would say do something for somebody else. If you are feeling like you're internally focused and you're having a hard time getting through the day, call up your mother or your brother or your sister or a friend and say, what can I do for you today? Is there something that I could do that would help you? Right. In that moment, that time that you're going to be spending on the other person, I guarantee will bring you the same sort of, you know, release or, or endorphin rush that you'd get from doing something like going to a concert or, you know, something else that you would enjoy. It's a it's a fascinating um, your brain has a very fascinating response to that. It's such a great response, Jacqueline, because I, lo- I love the idea of doing something for someone else. But I want to connect this back to the point you were making earlier when you're in the grip of this disease and now the symptoms come and the symptoms make it worse. Where do you start? Because now you're already losing motivation, losing interest, losing engagement. And yet we're here, we're giving them you know, tips that they can probably recognize this makes sense, but I've already lost my, my momentum. So where's what's that baby step that somebody can take to just start taking some control back? What we know is that you can't just um inject something new into your routine and hope that it sticks, right? So we tend to be a, a people of human beings replace things. So if you have a habit or something that you can replace with something different, that's, that's what I would recommend doing. So in the morning, if you have a routine and that routine includes doing the same thing every day, right? And I would, I would replace some portion of that routine, say, um, if you're virtually working, I would, I would say after every meeting, you should set down your headset or walk away from your computer and take a lap around your house or a lap around the room or give distance proximity, you know, instead of being in front of the screen, that little bit of distance, A, the walk is going to help get your, you know, blood flow moving, but try and, and change your routine in small positive ways and see, you know, that would, that would be the first step, right? So, um, and pick one thing. Don't pick 10 things. Pick one thing and try it for a week. There's lots of different tools from breathing and grounding and, um, you know, meditation to movement and conversation. Uh, you know, I would, I would start with one thing and, and give it a try and see if it helps. 
You're a mom of several children. What are some of the tips that you would tell parents or how do you keep an eye on this in your own house and try to make sure that your kids are doing okay during the pandemic? I am by no means a a perfect example of a parent. In fact, in a lot of ways, I'm probably part of the problem most days. I'm, you know, uh, trying to make things okay when really I should be just letting them experience uh, the world around them. But, you know, I, I, there are some things that I think my husband and I have tried that have worked. And um, one of them is checking in at dinner time, uh, having a family dinner every night, making sure that that routine doesn't get disrupted and going around and sharing over a meal, a highlight, low light, you know, so this idea that good things and bad things happen every day and let's start paying attention to both, right? Like what happened? What, what did you fail at or what didn't go well and what went really well so that we can, you know, have those markers for them, um, in development of, of, you know, good, good and bad, or those feelings that, that, you know, instead of being static, get them thinking about those things. And so that obviously starts with us doing the exercise because they'll learn, you know, from us. And so that's been interesting to go through and, and think as an adult, okay, what was my highlight and my low light of, of the day? Uh, so we've done that and that I think gets a conversation. It opens the dialogue, right? For us to, to understand what our kids are going through and, you know, where their pain points are. And I think, you know, for, for, you know, kindergartner, my kindergartner, that's, that's very much a social, um, physical, I don't uh, get to see or have play dates or do the things that, you know, I used to be able to do. Uh, for my, you know, uh, fourth grader, it's very much around social development and interaction, right? That whole idea that I think uh, most fourth or fifth or sixth graders go to school, uh, but for the social element, right? That interaction with their peer group. And, and so, you know, there's a lot of just trying to navigate that and how do you do it in a pandemic and what's the right decision? And, you know, am I ruining my children for life? All, all those normal parent <laughs> related worries. Jacqueline, what you're saying is, is this is reality. We're all experiencing it. Uh, but if you can learn your way, way into helplessness, obviously it sounds like the positive message that you're trying to communicate to us. I mean, what I'm picking up is you can learn your way out of that as well. Absolutely. And- I would tell you that hopelessness uh, nobody deserves to be hopeless. Um, mm. It's a it's a terrible place to be. In fact, uh, it's why I'm here. I think I, I found you know worked. I work at this company. I believe in what we do because I started as an intern here, and uh, what I heard on the other end of the phone when I worked you know nights and weekends was hopelessness, helplessness. People had given up on on themselves and others, and as a result of you know, trying and trying and trying and not getting the outcome or the answer they needed. And so I would tell you, we've taken, you know, hundreds of thousands of people back from hopelessness and, and that nobody should be, deserves to be hopeless ever. And so I would say that that's not okay. It's not okay for you to feel that way and not say something because Mm. that is the, you know, that's exactly what will feed that hopelessness is if you keep it all bottled up inside and there's absolutely a way back. What do you tell people who might be new to really seeking help? Because mental health has always been a concern that's not new, but the focus on it during COVID is heightened for sure. So what about people who 
may not have been open to it before, but now we're hearing about it constantly and they're starting to just open up a little bit and realize, well, maybe I could talk to somebody. What are some of those things that you would do to encourage people who might've been resistant in the past, but are now just starting to see that little glimmer that talking to somebody or calling somebody might help? A, everybody's worth saving. Uh, that's one of my favorite, um, you know, just mantras is that every single person on this planet um, will have a time in their life when they're struggling. And I believe that they're all worth saving uh, and that they can be saved. And, and so everybody deserves that uh, in my mind and that they're not alone, uh, that I guarantee that it's not the first time we've heard that unique or very personal story or situation and that um, thinking you're unique or that your situation is unique can be uh, a really bad thing. So you're not alone and, and you're not unique. Everybody, it's, it's human nature to respond uh, to crisis in, in, in different ways, right? To be stressed, to experience stress. It doesn't make you less than, it doesn't make you weak. It doesn't make you, in fact, I would say that asking for help is the, one of the most courageous things that an individual can do. Um, and so really that, that's it. You're not alone. Um, everybody is worth saving and asking for help is the most courageous thing that an individual will do in their lifetime. Yeah. So inspiring Jacqueline. So what I'm wondering is the community in Minnesota is so uh, gr uh, uh, grateful, I think, to have you. What do people do in other communities where there may not be an air care? Are there other uh, uh, providers out there that might be able to help them? We're actually a global company, so we could help any community if, if they're interested. But I think there are so many. We are not the only answer, right? And mm -hmm. I think um, one one really great example of that is that there are many partners that, that we leverage or that I think any solution will leverage if they're doing things in a comprehensive way uh, to get people the help that they need. There's not one size fits all answer. There just isn't. Uh, so I would say there's there's lots of opportunities to get into therapy on your, you know, the modality that you prefer, right? Texting, in-person, face, uh, virtual face-to-face, -face, video, um, talk to somebody. Uh, and, and we certainly don't have a, we don't, do not have a monopoly on that. Uh, there's lots of ways to, to get that help. I would also say that, um, you know, learning sort of meditation and breathing and some of those fundamental, um, you know, sort of eat, you know, eating, sleeping, activity, uh, those things are, there's a plethora of awesome providers helping people building those skills, uh, apps and in-person and, and otherwise. So I would say it's going to take all of us as a community to come together and help one another um, to be our best versions of, our, of ourselves. And so I would say that, you know, the first step would be to reach out and ask for help. And I guarantee that there is someone there waiting on the other end to give you what you need. You just have to ask. This is obviously such a strong personal mission for you. What is the one thing that just comes from the bottom of your heart that you want to tell people about the work that you do and why it matters? I think it comes down to it matters because they matter. Um, I think we have a, a way of putting ourselves last sometimes or minimizing what we're experiencing. Um, and I think every human being, every human life is valuable. And I think that what we are trying to do is get others to understand that, to, to put that first, 
to put their emotional and mental health first because they do matter. Um, I don't care what neighborhood you live in or, or what community you come from or what religious background or political affiliation, um, you matter. And stop putting yourself second and start putting yourself first because if you don't put your oxygen mask on, you can't save the person next to you. Thank you so much. That's really inspiring. All the work that you do is so inspiring. I love everything that you're doing. Air Care Health has on a really important mission and I know it's important to you personally. So thank you so much for being here and sharing your thoughts and thank all of you for watching. Bye.